we, if you've been, uh, if you're a visitor or you haven't been with us for a few weeks, we've been journeying through a series called Rhythms. Uh, and we've been really taking some time out to think about the rhythms of the Christian life, the things that we do to think about and to help us with our discipleship, the things that we do uh, in our day, in our week, and in our month, and in our year uh, to help us to think about discipleship, to help us to be disciples, the rhythms of our lives. And um, I actually did want to take some time today to talk to us about baptism. Uh, it seems silly not to. Strictly, I suppose baptism isn't a rhythm. Can you call something that you do once a rhythm? I don't know. But I suppose it is the rhythm of the church. You know, it, it's a really important part of each of our faith and of the communal, collective faith of the church. Um, and, you know, obviously we've all been part of some baptisms this morning and we've heard some amazing testimony amazing testimony about why it's such an important thing for us. So I just wanted to take a few moments um, before we head back into worship together um, to think about baptism, what it is that we are doing in that moment. What is happening? Why do we do it? And why is it important? And if you have not yet been baptized and you are a follower of Jesus, uh, let me encourage you to, to listen in, tune in, and to think about it for yourself. Not that there's pressure, you know, we've said every, every one of these talks we've said in our rhythm series, this isn't about something you need to do to tick a box to get God to love you. This is something that we get to do to enter further in to what God has for us. And this is, again, the same sort of thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's something about the Christian life which is about symbols. Symbols, signs, metaphors, that kind of thing. Christian life is absolutely full to the brim of them, and they are really, really important to us. They're things that help us to understand better what it is that's going on, and they are part of what's called our sacramental life as a church. It's things like weddings. If you've been to a wedding, weddings are full of symbolism. You know, we have exchanges of rings. We have people walking down aisles. We have the whole thing, holding of hands and all of that stuff. Um, weddings are full of symbols, things that help us to try and figure out what it is that's going on. There's a really important symbol, probably the best one, uh, that Jesus gave us to join in with as a church, and that's communion, isn't it? You know, we have this week on week, this rhythm, this pattern of using the symbols of bread and wine to help us to understand more and to remember more what it is that God is doing and who he is. We have, uh, we've had the most amazing example of symbols and signs uh, recently in the king's coronation, haven't we? You know, all sorts of symbolism going on there. And the sort of pundits who were watching it and trying to explain it to us were having an absolute field day, trying to explain, like, what's this orb for and what's this stick for and why is that person wearing that colour? You know, it's full of it, wasn't it? Um, and then we have baptism, the most amazing symbol where somebody is literally drenched in water as they make a public commitment uh, to who they are in Christ. But we know too, don't we, that there's something about these symbols. It is symbolism. They are signs of what is going on. And yet, we just want to say slightly more than that, don't we? Because we know that there is this sort of muddy world between things being symbolic, but also a little bit more than that. 
You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about when you've come away from communion. Yes, we've done the symbol of receiving bread uh, and receiving wine. But when you come away from that moment, the flavor of it is still on your tongue. Not that there's much flavor going on in those wafers. But the flavor of it, you know, it's still on your tongue. The wafer is still stuck in your teeth a bit. It's a physical experience. And also, maybe you've sensed as you've come forward for communion, as you've taken bread and wine, or as you've gathered with those around you to receive that with one another, you've sensed that moment of meeting Christ through the Holy Spirit in those symbols in some way. So we can't say it's just a symbol, can we? And similarly, in baptism, it's a symbol. Water is poured. We get wet. But something physical has gone on as well. We're drenched. We're soaked. Uh, Anyone who has ever brought a baby for baptism will tell you that they can sense that something has happened to them. And sometimes they don't like that. But something physical has gone on. Something real, a real experience has happened to you. And lots of people, adults who come for baptism, um, or those who are older and can remember it, would say that they felt a real spiritual shift come after they've been baptized. So it's not just a symbol. It kind of lives in this muddy middle of symbolism that's just ever so slightly more than symbolism. And actually, people experience this quite a lot in the Gospels when they encounter Jesus, I want to uh, think for a couple of minutes about the, the woman at the well. So this is reading from John chapter 4. Let me read it to us. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can we get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus uh, goes on to ask the woman to bring her husband. Lots of people know the story. Uh, And then Jesus sort of prophetically says to her, I know what your situation is. You know, I know that you've had five husbands. I know the person you're currently living with is not your husband. The woman is so amazed that she goes into her local town and she tells everyone what has happened. She knows that she's met the Messiah and she tries to draw them in so that they too can meet Jesus. And this is one of those stories where there is this amazing metaphor and an amazing reality intermingling with each other in this story as the woman interacts with Jesus. 
the woman is thirsty, genuinely, physically thirsty. She's come to the well. And also, so is Jesus, physically thirsty. He's asked for some water. But the woman is also spiritually thirsty. She's living in a really difficult life situation. She's been cast out by her own community. That's why she's there in the middle of the day when no one would normally go to the well to draw water. But then in that moment of that physical need, Jesus shares with her that he has water to offer her and that she will never thirst again. And he's obviously, he's talking about himself. He's talking about drinking deeply in his presence, being filled. And also this, I love this image of this internal spring of water welling up to eternal life inside her. And we spoke last week, didn't we, about fasting. And when we talked about fasting, we talked about the, what's happening in the physical, our hunger, mirroring what is going on in the spiritual, our spiritual hunger, the hunger of our souls. And this is the same sort of thing. Water is an incredibly important symbol in the Bible. And similarly, this thirst that Jesus is talking about is both physical and spiritual. So water, we've seen a lot of water. You experienced a lot of water, Mike. Warm water, it's not always warm, but today it was. But water is an amazing symbol. It's a very important symbol throughout the story of God's people. Firstly, water satisfies thirst. We've just talked about that, haven't we? But right back from the beginning, right back in Genesis, where we, we talk about the creation of the world, Genesis talks about that. Beginning with this dry and desolate wilderness, And then God brings water, the context into which life springs up, including human life. And there's enough for everyone, all a gift from God. But the story, as we know, of creation, the story of our people, the story of the people that God created is that humans find a way to ruin it. And then there's this drought inside There's this image of the human condition, people who are thirsty for more. Adam and Eve, they are thirsty. They want more wisdom, uh, but they try and find it on their own terms, don't they? And that's the beginning of this unfolding, unraveling um, of the Christian story. As they try and seek to quench their thirst from other places, it makes them more and more thirsty and they end up back in the wilderness they lose access to this water to this flowing spring of life not only do they miss out but it means they can't spread God's life into the world either and this is the whole story of the people of God being on a quest to satisfy their thirst on their own terms and I wonder today how many of us have come to this place of feeling thirsty spiritually thirsty we're thirsty for him for more of his presence What else does water do? Well, it doesn't just quench thirst, but water is cleansing to us as well, isn't it? Uh, As we are immersed in it. The things that we've done, the wrong things that we have done, mean that we, each of us, are in need of being washed clean. And that's a really important symbol, really important part of what we're doing in baptism. We are washing clean of sin. Isaiah, the prophet, says this, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. 
seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And then he says this, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. It was long ago prophesied that all of us would need to be and could be cleansed, washed clean of all of the things that we have done. And it's not like when you eat spaghetti bolognese wearing a white t-shirt and you know in that moment, such a sad moment, when it splatters onto your t-shirt, you know that that white t-shirt will never be the same again. You know, no matter how much vanish you spray on it, you know it's just always going to be there. But this is not the type of cleansing that we're talking about in Scripture. This is full, ongoing, permanent cleansing from our sinful and destructive ways. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And I like to think it's as white as snow on the Alps, not as white as snow on the highway when it snows, because that's not white. So water quenches our thirst, it cleanses us, but it's not just being cleansed. The image of baptism is about more than that. It's about going from death to life. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The image that we see in baptism, that we hear spoken about in scripture is not that we've gone from bad to good. It's that we've gone from dead to alive, dead in our sin to alive in Christ. And this image of baptism is that we are taken down We die to our sinful self. We are buried with Christ. And then we are raised again in him, into resurrection life. Baptism is one of those symbols that's not just a symbol. Not just of washing. It's not just a bath. It's a symbol and a sign of death, burial and resurrection that unites us inseparably from life in Christ. Amen. And that's something that we get to partake in together, all of us, the baptized people of Christ. We are people who have died with him, been buried with him, and raised with him into life with him, that we might never be the same again as we live alive in his life. And the most amazing thing about that is that this isn't just a personal thing between us and God, although it is that. It's the beginning of God's life flowing through us into the world. 
So it doesn't just end with us reconciling with God, becoming alive in Christ, but we become people who then carry that into the world, that it might flow out of us. It carries on in Romans 6. If we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And the life we live, we live to God. We are people who are in Christ, fully immersed in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And something that struck me just this week when I was thinking about it. What was the image that we see of Jesus dying on the cross? He's up on the cross, isn't he? And his side is pierced by a soldier. And out from his side flows blood and water. Out from the cross, out from his very death flows the water of life, that water of life that quenches our thirst, that water of life that brings us cleansing, that water of life that means that we get to go from people who are dead in our sin to alive in life with Christ. And not only that, but it's an image as well that we need to hold on to because it's the image of the end of time when all things are restored. This is what it says right at the end of the Bible, right at the end of Revelation. It says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And then it says this, and the leaves of the tree offer the healing of the nations. What an amazing image. The water that flows from the side of Christ over us into the pools of baptism where we die to our sin and are raised to life in him, not just for us, but for the reconciling of all things at the end of time. That the things that flow the water that flows from, from the throne of God might bring healing to the nations. And that's what we, that's not just for us to look forward to, but that's for now. The people of God, we get to carry that healing to the nations as we are dead in our sin, but alive in Christ. Image of water, that symbol of water. What an incredible thing it is, a symbol but not just a symbol. Why don't the band come and join me? The great joy of uh, this service, first of the month, is that we get to spend just that little bit more of extended time in worship together to respond to God, to who he is, to his goodness. But I wanted to just close before we pray by challenging you. If you haven't been baptised I'd love it if you would consider it. I'd love it if you'd consider it for yourself or uh, consider it for your children if they're in that place. We know that baptism isn't the means of salvation. You know, we don't do it in order that we are sa saved. It's a sign of our salvation. It's not a box to tick. But it's something we get to do. It's a glimpse in part 
of something that we one day will get to see in full. And don't you feel encouraged this morning as the people of God having seen baptisms this morning? It's a privilege that we get to do that. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to continue in worship. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing morning. I thank you for the privilege that it is to stand with, uh, with people as they give themselves to you, with families as they give themselves to you, as they commit to following you in all of your ways. And Lord, for each of us this morning, again, let's just take a moment to... If you are baptized, if you are a follower of Jesus, let's just take a moment to remember that and to recommit our hearts again to the Lord. Recommit our hearts again to who he is, to what he's done for you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, God, that you give us these practical and physical symbols of your love for us and that we get to partake in those. God, we know that we're people who tend to forget. Help us to remember. Help us to remember that we are people who are alive in you. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us afresh, even in this moment, that we might be empowered to live the lives that you've set out for us, to be people who take with us the flowing of that water of your life, the bubbling up of that eternal spring of eternal life in each of us, not just for us, but for the healing of the nations, we pray, Jesus. Come and use us in that way, each in our own ways, we pray. Jesus, would you come? Thank you, Lord. now let me encourage you if you would like to uh, take a moment during our worship just to come uh, just dip your hand in the in the baptism pool you might want to just make a sign of the cross on your forehead or just sprinkle it on yourself just to remind yourself of who you are in him that you are in Christ you have died to sin and been raised to life with him Let's worship.